Today's scripture reading is from Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you, that is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body and sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you therefore not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are for your glory. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Let's just pause again and, and pray very briefly. Father, we thank you for your word, and we ask that you give us insight into it today, that you would speak to each one of us from your truth, point us to your Son in Christ's name. Amen. So whenever I uh, uh, walk past a construction site, I always appreciate it when they post a picture there, maybe an architectural drawing or even, even just a description of whatever kind of building they're, they're, they're putting up. Um, you know, maybe it's some apartments coming in, maybe a new store is being built, whatever, whatever it is, I appreciate it when they let you know what they're making because as we all know, when construction projects are underway, things can look pretty ugly for a while. Right? You've got that big hole there, and then they put up the, the wooden barricade, and then, then you have the, the scaffolding that blocks all the sunlight. And it might, it might be that way for a couple of years, so it, it's nice when they just give you an idea of what's happening, give you a picture of the plan, of the way things are going to be. And that's, that's kind of, I think, what the Apostle Paul is doing in this passage that we're looking at today. This is a, a section from Paul's letter to the, uh, the church in Ephesus, and at the time that the apostle wrote uh, these words, things were pretty ugly in the world for the church uh, at that time. Things were just not, not very attractive. The Christian faith at that time was, uh, was just beginning. It was looked on with ridicule and suspicion by the, by the broader culture. Most churches were very small. Your, your average Christian was very poor. Um, the cultural forces that had allied themselves together in opposition to God's work just seemed 
They seemed unstoppable in their power. Christians, you know, were being persecuted for their faith. You may have noticed that verse 1 says that the apostle himself was in prison at the time that he wrote these words. So things just looked pretty ugly, like a big empty hole in the ground. Things just looked ugly for the church. And so to keep his readers from being discouraged, the apostle here, he kind of just paints a picture. This is the plan. This is, this is what God is doing through the gospel in the world. And as, in outlining this plan for us, you could say that the, the apostle here, he describes three things. He talks about an amazing power that's at work in the world, an amazing power. He talks about a new people that God is creating, and, and he talks about the mysterious purpose of God. So first, he, he talks about a power. He, he tells us or reminds us here that God's grace has power. Did you know that? God's grace has power to transform people's lives. When, when I was in college, I had a friend whose name was Melvin. Melvin was, he was a little older than most of the college students. It, it kind of had taken him a while to get to, to school. He had shared with us that he came from a very tough neighborhood and kind of had a rough background. I think he shared that he had been part of a street gang when he was, was in high school. And so he was a little bit older. But Mel, Melvin, I was a new Christian at the time, and Melvin, he, he, he just, he was the kind of Christian that I aspired to be. There was a just very evident work of God in his life, very gentle, very kind, and, and thoughtful of others. He was often just sharing with us things that he read in the Word that had meant a lot to him that day. He was just a very godly young man. And um, so I was surprised one day. I walked into the dorm. I ran into Melvin in the hallway, and he just looked different. I mean, there was, there was just kind of a cold, angry look on his face and just hate in his eyes. And I said hello to him. He kind of, kind of snarled at me. It, just, it kind of scared me. So I walked down the hall. I went into a friend's room, and I said, have you seen Melvin? What in the world happened to Melvin? And my friend said to me, oh, that's not Melvin. I said, what? He said, no, that's Marvin. I said, well, who is Marvin? And, and, and they, they told me that Marvin was Melvin's identical twin brother who was visiting from, from Chicago, where they were from. And, uh, and, and they, they said, you know, Melvin, they grew up together. Melvin came to faith in Christ. Marvin has not become a Christian yet. And I realized that when I looked at Marvin, I was seeing Melvin the way he used to be before he came to Christ. He's like these twin brothers. Were just, they were sort of a, a walking before and after picture of, of, of what the grace of Christ can do. And do you know that, that the grace of God can transform a person, almost sometimes almost change their, their, their appearance? God's grace has this mysterious power to transform people. And you see that at least reflected in, in this passage. So, Paul is the one who wrote these words. Paul is an apostle, meaning he was an authoritative leader in the church. And, and we read in verse 2 that an administration of God's grace had been given to him. 
Verse 4 tells us that, that he had special insight, he says, into the mystery of Christ. End of verse 8, we read that grace was given to Paul to preach to the nations, to the Gentiles, the boundless riches of Christ. So that's who wrote these words. Paul, he's a leader in the church. He's a powerfully gifted person. He has this unique call of God on his life. He, he is so dedicated to Christ, so loyal to the gospel, he's actually in prison because of his faith. And yet, did you notice what Paul said about himself at the, at the beginning of verse 8. He said, I am less than the least of all God's people. He said, I'm, I'm like the, I am the worst Christian in the church. Now, why did he say that? He, he, he said that kind of to give us a, a before and after picture of, him, of himself. He, he said that because of the kind of person he was before he came to Christ. Do you know the story of Paul? His, his name used to be Saul. They changed. He, he, was so, he was so changed by the gospel, he actually changed his name. Um, before Paul came to Christ, you know the story. He was a violent, angry, bitter man. He hated Christians. He persecuted the church. So, well, what happened to him? Well, you know what happened. The grace of God in Christ changed him. And, and, and that's just a reality. Listen, I, I want you to believe the story of God's love in Christ, you could call that the gospel, when it is accompanied by the power of the Holy Spirit, has an ability to transform people, to make, to make them new, this, this amazing power. And all right, not everyone's story is as dramatic as Paul's or as dramatic as Melvin's, but everyone who's come to faith in Christ has experienced that power. In, in the chapter before this, in, in uh, chapter 2 of Ephesians, Paul basically says that everyone who's ever come to faith in Christ has a before and after picture that describes them. Here's what Paul wrote about believer. Here's what he wrote about you, what he wrote about me. He wrote in chapter 2, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of, of the air. Did you hear that? He said you were dead in your sins and you were following the devil, right? He said, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. He said, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, he wrote, it is by grace you have been saved. So what, what he's just reminding us is that God does this. And do you, know, do you know that God does this all the time? God, God is doing this somewhere in the world. God will do this for someone today. God may do this for someone you know in this coming year. You know what God does? God takes people who are spiritually dead and he, he makes them alive again. Amen. He takes people who are spiritually blind and he allows them to see his truth. God takes people who are enslaved to their own selfishness and fear and unbelief and God just sets them free. Has God, has God done that for you? No. Would, would you like him to? You, you know what Jesus said? Jesus said, ask and you will what? Receive. God can do this for anyone. Listen, there is no one in this world beyond the reach of the power of God's 
grace to transform them. It might be that you're here today and, and maybe there's someone you care about, someone you love, and they seem so far from Christ today. You're praying for God to reach them. Can I just remind you of something that we sang a few minutes ago? We sang these words to God. Did you believe this? We said, Lord, you turn graves into gardens. You turn mourning to dancing. You turn shame into glory. You're the only one who can. God can do that for anyone. So uh, we've got this big empty hole. It doesn't seem like anything's going on at the construction site. And Paul says, well, let me just give you a picture here. First, let, let me give you a picture of power. Do you realize that God's power is at work in this world right now absolutely transforming people. So first in the picture, there's this picture of amazing power. Then in the, in the diagram, there's a picture of a, of a new people, a new people that God is creating. And that, that's really the main, the main point of this passage is that God, through Christ, is creating a new community, a, a new kind of people. And you, you may know that when the, when the Christian faith first began, uh, when the church started, the Christian faith was really, a, a, it was sort of a subgroup of, of Judaism. It was a spiritual movement among Jewish people. Jesus, as you know, was Jewish. The 12 disciples were all Jewish. All of the first Christians were Jewish. So the church was really a Jewish thing. And that, if you've read the Bible, probably does not surprise you because you know that up to that point in redemptive history, um, the focus of God's work in the world had, had, had centered upon the people of Israel. But as people began to follow Jesus and they began to, to seek God's truth in his name, the Holy Spirit began to reveal to the church that the gospel, the good news, was not just for people like them that the good news of Jesus was for all the nations of the world. At end of verse 5, Paul says, this is what they discovered, the mystery revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets was, verse 6, that through the gospel the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. In other words, through the gospel, God was creating a new people, not Jewish, not Gentile, something radically new. In chapter 2, verse 15, the apostle, he referred to the church as a new humanity, just a whole new kind of, of, of human community that the world had never seen before. A, a, a gathering of people, a body of people in, in which individuals from different ethnic backgrounds, from, from, from different, with, with maybe different racial identities, people perhaps who, who uh, held to differing political convictions, were united as one family in Christ. Now, that did not mean... That did not mean that Gentiles could join the church if they wanted to, as long as they left their culture behind, as long as they became Jewish. They were not talking about assimilation here. And it did not mean that the apostles, when they would preach the gospel, they would, they would, their aim was to start two separate churches in every city where they took the gospel. You'd have one church for the Jews, one church for the Gentiles, separate but equal. That's not what it meant. Listen, it meant that in the church, through the gospel, God... God was taking people who up to this point would have nothing to do with each other, and he was making them one family in Christ. 
A, a family where people, a, a community where people were not primarily defined anymore by their, their ethnic background or their racial identity, where people, people were united through their common identity in Christ. Let, let me read for you again verse 16. And when I read this, would you notice how many times the word together appears in this verse? Here's what Paul says. The mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel. Members together of one body. Sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. So that's the plan. This is what God is doing. What is God doing in the world? Is there anything going on? Yeah, there is a power at work in this world right now, transforming people's lives, bringing people from everywhere, uniting them in Christ. There's this amazing power creating a new people. Now, why? That's my third point. What is God's purpose? What is the, the purpose for all of this? Well, look, look with me at verse 11. Verse 11 says, His intent, or you could translate that, God's purpose was that now, through the church, the manifold mis wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Now, it's easy to read right past that because it's quite a mouthful. But when you stop and look at that verse, that's mysterious. Why, why does God want the good news of Christ proclaimed to the nations of the world? Why does God want to transform people from different backgrounds and unite them to, together as one family? According to this verse, the main reason God wants to do this is not because of his desire to save us. Does that hurt your feelings? That's not the main thing. According to this verse, it's, it's not because God wants to create a new world, even though he will do that. That's not the main point. It's not even because God wants to build up the church. According to Ephesians 3.11, the primary reason that God wants people from different backgrounds to hear the gospel and be transformed and come, and come into, into God's family, it's because God wants to show off. He wants to, he wants to just kind of show off his wisdom, his glory. To whom? It says, to rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Who in the world is that talking about? It, it's, it, it seems to be saying, God wants all the angels in heaven, and he wants all the demons in hell to, to look at the church and be amazed, just amazed. His, his intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. It's, it, yeah, it reminds me of uh, the scene at the beginning of, of the book of Job. Have you ever read Job? The opening scene, God is in heaven. He's surrounded by this, this kind of uh, divine council of angelic beings. It's so mysterious. And, and God turns to one of these angelic beings, who in, in Hebrew is called Hasatan, which means the accuser. And, and God says to this, this kind of celestial being, he, he says, hey, have you looked at my servant Job? Have you considered him? Take a look. Look at him. Look at him. It's, it's kind of like Paul's saying God's doing that with the church. He's saying to some kind of mysterious beings. We don't even know who they are. He's saying, would you look at the church? Take a look. 
You see my manifold wisdom. He's pointing out the church to, um, to rulers and authorities in heavenly realms so that they will be amazed by the power of God's grace. That's just, that's weird, isn't it? You know that angels are watching the church? According, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, one of the reasons that Christians should gather together to worship God, and one of the reasons we should take what we're doing here very so seriously, is because while we worship together here, angels are present. Angels are watching the church. You don't believe me? Look that up. According to, to 1 Timothy chapter 5, one of the reasons that we should discipline church leaders who sin rather than covering up their misbehavior because we don't want a scandal, it says it's because angels are watching the church. I, I heard a talk recently from a, a Christian journalist whose um, her research and her reporting has uncovered some, some really shameful scandals in some high-profile evangelical ministries. And, and she said that a lot of people have condemned her for writing that stuff. They say, you shouldn't, you shouldn't be talking about these scandals in the church. Don't you realize that the world is watching? Non-Christians are going to read the things you write, and they will reject the gospel and go to hell, all because you aired the church's dirty laundry. Do you realize, listen, a critique like that is assuming that the only eyes watching the church are the eyes of human beings. But what if something bigger than that is going on? What, what, listen, what if God's purpose for creating the church really has nothing to do with us? What if, what if, what if his whole purpose is just to show up his manifold wisdom to creatures who exist in a realm we can't even comprehend. I know this sounds weird. Doesn't this sound weird? But what if it's not all about us? This is a silly illustration, but as I was studying this passage, it reminded me of, you ever see the final scene in the first Men in Black movie? All right, if you saw that movie, remember, is it Agent K, Agent J, they're, they're fighting all these, these extraterrestrial beings, and in, in the course of, of, of doing this, they actually save an entire galaxy from being destroyed, right, which is quite an accomplishment. That's more than you did this week, right? They save an entire galaxy from destruction, and uh, you're thinking, oh, this is wonderful, and then at the end of the movie, the, the camera zooms out, and you realize that the galaxy that they saved together with our galaxy, together with all the other hundreds of billions of galaxies in the entire universe, that is nothing more than one marble in a game of marbles being played by some creatures in a realm that's way beyond our comprehension. Now, that is not, that's not the image that the apostle is trying to bring to mind here, but he is just, it's, it's that same idea. There is something so big going on through the church. Through, through, through this hole in the ground with a wooden barricade around it. It looks like, what is this construction project here? There's, God is like just at work in the world, drawing people who are lost and broken, bringing them to Christ, transforming them, people from all kinds of different backgrounds, different political persuasions, different ethnic backgrounds, making them one family in Christ. And in some realm, we can't even see creatures that we would, we would tremble if we were in their presence. They're looking at this and they're saying, wow. God is great. 
He's a, he is amazing. Like, the whole purpose is so that God can demonstrate his glory to them. Isn't that weird? That's, this is why the Apostle Paul was so adamant that the churches in, 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 the, in the first century had to be very welcoming to the Gentiles. That, you know, the dominant culture was Jewish and, and they wanted the, you know, Gentiles can come, just do things our way. Paul was like, no, read the book of Galatians. He got mad about that. Don't you dare make them leave their culture behind to come into your church. You welcome them. Don't you realize what's at stake here? The demons in hell and angels in, her- in heaven are getting their impression of the gospel by what happens here, right? Now, now wh- why would the church impress these beings? Well, I, I don't know, but it seems to me that for thousands of years, these mysterious celestial beings had been looking at planet Earth, and every time they look at Earth, what do they see? They see hatred and division. They see people who can't stand each other, and they notice that this, this kind of division, the biggest rift is between Jewish people and Gentile people. They're watching this. And if the Son of God comes into this world and and saves people and brings them into God's family and those people are still divided by those ethnic lines, these celestial beings will just yawn and say, big deal. That's been going on for centuries. But if the Son of God comes into this world and the gospel is proclaimed and people from opposing factions are joined together in one body in Christ, you, listen, demons in hell start to tremble, angels in heaven start to sing, and the whole celestial realm rejoices or trembles in the amazing glory of God. So that's the... That's the picture on the construction site, all right? That's the, that's the architectural drawing. It just looks like a hole in the ground right now. I know it still, it still feels that way, doesn't it? I think things haven't changed that much from the first century. Very often still, you look at the work of the church in the world, and you can despair. It just seems like this empty hole, this, this ugly scaffolding. Nothing good is going on. The apostle says, wait a minute, let me show you. Do you realize that right now there is a power at work in this world? People's lives are being changed. Do you realize that right now God is tearing down, dividing walls of hostility, joining the people together in one family? Do you realize that right now creatures in a realm we can't even comprehend are falling before God and praising his name because of what God is doing through the gospel in this world in his church. Amen. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for the prayer that Annette had for us earlier in this in the service. We are we do get discouraged by just the ravages of this pandemic. And that's not the only thing that's troubling us. We 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 often see a a, a culture that m- ignores the church or mocks the church. We see people turn away from the gospel. We can begin to despair that uh, nothing's being built here, nothing is going on, and then your word comes and reminds us, you know what you're doing. You know what you're building. And Jesus said, he said, I will build my church, I will, and the gates of hell cannot stand against it. And so, God, we give you praise for this, and we pray 
that in this church and in other churches in our neighborhood, in our city, that this year we would see you do amazing things through the gospel. Tear down divisions within your church. Draw people to, to, to the life-changing grace of Christ and do this, all of this, for the glory of the name of your Son, through whom we address you now. Amen.